Uh, not you. I'm saying when I say you, I'm talking about uh, who else likes basketball. I don't yeah. Uh, did you watch basketball on Saturdays? No. Oh, God. I would watch soccer on Saturdays. Okay, there we go. Someone long lost. Gosh, long lost. Soccer. Soccer. No, I agree with you. It's soccer. Okay, no, good. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so, so let's say you watch you watch soccer on on Saturdays. So, so and and there's a part of you that loved that, and connected to it, and and you were like, I mean, soccer is an exciting game. It's an exciting game, and, and there's, there's something about the experience of being at the game or watching the game on TV that's, that's really engaging. And it becomes almost woven into to your identity. The, this is a great thing to do on a Saturday. And, and that's, like, that's unprocessed, because, well, you know, no one was speaking about Shabbos Kredish. It, was like, like it, wasn't even like, it wasn't even a distant like, mention. It just didn't exist. So what happens is, in your experience of your life, you get you get an identity which is built along who you are and the things you do, and then all of a sudden you meet Torah, and Torah says, mm, "No, no, Sokon Shabbos, Shabbos Kodesh." So now the problem is that piece of information you may even agree to it, but the part of yourself that wants to watch Sokon Shabbos says, "Hey, when's the match on?" And 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 therefore, what do you do? That's what I mean. When you meet Torah, it's almost as if you you lose yourself because if you just kind of whitewash over the the guy who wants to watch soccer, so then you just okay. Well, no, I'm, I'm into Shabbos, and you know, that doesn't exist, but it, it does exist. And the thing about these these previous selves, they don't just disappear. They're still there until 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 we actually speak to them and welcome them into the fray. They they remain totally alive and well. And as, as you know, there's this, this, I'll give an example. This is like a great example for me. Um, it happened, to, I'll give you two examples. Two examples of, of real, of real, real, real life, you know, case histories. Example number one. A guy comes to me, and he's been brought up in the, this is fascinating, in the regular, in the regular from system, FFB, but like not only FFB, with all the trimmings. He's got all the trimmings, he's got like, you know, the right accented Yiddish at the appropriate times. He's been in the best of shivers and he's done the best in the best of shivers. And he came to me and, you know, I didn't, he, he, he was struggling when he was sent to me, chatting to him. And like I said, things like, I said things like, well, um, what do you want to be? And you say, I want to be like that great man, like that God. I want to be a Belyashiv. I want to be a Iron Epsteinman. These generic kind of amazing figures. And he says he wants to be like them. So I challenged him and I said to him, well, how are you going to do that? And why do you want to be like them? Meaning, if you want to be like a great man, so that's great. But you also have to have some of the raw material. Like, I would love to be a 100-meter sprinter. Uh, the problem is my body. This doesn't gel. I'd like to be, you know, I'd like to be, uh, I don't know what I'd like to be. I'd like to be, I'd like to be a, a ballet dancer. Maybe not. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'd like to be lots of things. But if you, if you, you know, I'd, I'd like to be, I'd like to be a CEO of a major company. The problem is, like, I'm bad with numbers. <laughs> it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. In fact, the truth is, maybe uh, no. It's, I think it's a problem. I mean, you can, you can, you can only be what you are. You can't be what you're not. You can only ever be what you are. You can only ever be what you are. You know, there are some people that they look at potential as this this, bo- this 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 big ball of clay, and you're just molded in the way that you choose. It's rubbish. Of course, it's rubbish. <laughs> you can only ever be yourself. You can't be anyone. You can only ever be yourself. And the process of realizing potential isn't making something from nothing, it's taking away the covers of what really exists, but just in a dormant phase. And so I'm speaking to this guy, and he's like kind of starts to doubt himself. And right now, like a year later, he's like in a terrible situation, thanks to my good work. Uh, he really has no idea who he is or where he's going or what he wants to do with his life. <laughs> and for me, that's deeply reassuring. So I was speaking to a, I was speaking to a person who, who was kind of questioning me. I said, you know, this, this guy came to Israel and he just like unraveled and he used to be the best, the best guy in Yeshiva. What happened? Like, what went wrong? It's like, I think to myself, no, what do you mean what went wrong? Something went right. There was no one there. There was no one there. You know, we've all spoken about many times, like reading the script. So he was reading a script. And then he suddenly realizes, why, why, am, I, why am I reading the script? Does the script actually mean anything to me? And the answer was, I have no idea. Well, that answer can be very disruptive. <laughs> like it makes your life a misery because you don't really know what you're doing because everything was so cut and dry. And the truth is, ignorance is really bliss. I mean, if you want bliss, go for Ignorance. The problem is you have to like silence that like that, 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 that very soft voice which keeps on saying to you, but is it re- real? And you have to be like, you have to do a lot of stuff to get rid of that voice. And, and, and what I found is it's actually, it's, it's ubiquitous. I mean, it's all over the show. Uh, which means that's everywhere. <laughs> trying, trying, trying to get it, everyone accessibility in language. So, it's actually people, people want meaning. And actually, living a life without meaning is a, is a hard thing to pull off. And I would respectfully suggest that a lot of the things that are engineered in society are to get us out of the discomfort of facing this brutal realization that we need meaning and what is it. And I think at different stages of lives, of our lives, we, we deal with it in different ways. And this, this is not a from thing and non from thing. This is a human thing that we want meaning. And not having meaning is extremely difficult to deal with. So at different stages of our life, I suppose we deal with it in different ways. I think, you know, from, I don't know, you pick your ideal age. Some people it's 10, others 18. But you start to anesthetize. And the best, you know, the best forms of of anesthetics are those, you know, sometimes they're rolled up in small pieces of paper, other times they make their way through a liquid form and make a sound bong as they as they do it. Um, there's ways of anesthetizing or you can actually just, you know, there's, there's liquid forms of, of an anesthetics as well which do a good job. Um, so you can go you can go to the drugs and alcohol. That that's 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 quite good. And then you, when you when you you know get numb to that pain of what what am I living for, 
It's a, it's a real pain. Like, what am, what am I living for? That's like that gnaws away at us. And you can, you can get rid of it by, by distractions, by, by numbing. And you numb with drugs and alcohol. You can numb, you can numb with, with uh, you know, with, with, I suppose, you know, with uh, intimacy, like, you know, with, with uh, you know, pursuing the other, the other sex, or maybe just sex. Um, and that can also be very, very, like, kind of, it, it's almost like it's, it's an ersatz feeling of meaning, which like, kind of dissipates very quickly, but it's, it also has a sense of something that's going to take me and transport me, but it doesn't, it doesn't really last. Uh, you, can, you can just become very, very busy and get into careerism where you just, you, you live, you live this, this pursuit of, well, I'll make it, and then that becomes a pseudo-meaning, which actually uncovers the fact that there's, n- there's no meaning, but it it feels like there's meaning because, well, I'm going to get a degree. And I had this fascinating interaction with two groups of students. One, one were pre-med students and one were students in the arts. And I said to the arts students or arts and sciences, but not pre-med, I said to them, like, let's, let's go on this journey and let's, let's project what's going to happen backwards in time, forwards in, in time. And we went through a meditation where we just took ourselves back and then took ourselves forward. And with uh, non-pre-med students, going back for a lot of people was very deep and meaningful, and going forward was very uncertain and anxiety-provoking. And for the pre-med students, it was almost the opposite. They going back was like insignificant, and going forward was exciting and engaging. And it's, it's pretty obvious because they've got the next fifteen years of their lives pretty much planned out. They know exactly what's going to happen. You know, there's going to be a medical school, and then there's going to be internship and then it's going to be specializing and then you know and then there's going to be okay well I know exactly what I'm doing and that's that's reassuring that's grounding I know exactly where I'm going but is it is it really all there is and I suppose medicine itself is, is a meaningful profession because you're helping other people so it's got a lot going for it but even so I don't think every doctor necessarily has has his life orientated around meaning is this thing in order what what am I here for what are, what am I actually here for and that's that's, that's something that we need to, as, as humans, we need to contend with on a, on a literally, on a daily basis. And when we, we have no answer to that question, so then we have to run away somewhere. We really have to run away because the question is too glaring. It's too, it's too pronounced for us to avoid it. And the opposite is true, right? When we have that meaning, so then, so then we're driven to the nth degree. And we can overcome almost anything because everything is just a, um, it's just a, just, it's a, it doesn't really stand up very strongly in the face of very powerful meaning. Viktor Frankl famously um, presented this in Man's Search for Meaning where he, he underpinned meaning as literally the basic ingredient for survival under arduous conditions, which was in the concentration camps, when people were at the brink of death. And he, in his mind, was writing a thesis on what made people live and die. And he published his thesis post-Holocaust, and he came up with a form of therapy called logotherapy, which embraces the notion that 
you can't possibly have psychological well-being or even a really strong will to live if you don't have meaning. So he, he kind of put meaning on a pedestal that it literally, in his situation, was the difference between life and death. And he didn't go into the depth of that meaning. He kind of said, well, any meaning, you know, if it's family or for him it was the fact that he has bent on writing his thesis, that was enough. What I'm going even further is perhaps when you're not ignorant, that meaning, that very soft voice which whispers in my ear is, 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 is almost impossible to avoid. And now this is, so for this guy was a from guy. In other words, with the trap, within, within the trappings of this, what one would have thought, an extremely elaborate system that engages every moaning, infuses every moment with meaning, it's actually, no, you can do the whole thing and have nothing of it. Isn't it amazing? Like for me that's fascinating. That you can be within the structure. So again, most of you are outsiders coming in. Some of you are insiders I don't know what you're doing here, but <laughs> insiders chilling. But a lot of you are outsiders coming in, and, and like when you're an outsider coming in, you think, "Whoa, this is a, this is such a dramatic transition from a life which had no direction, no meaning, to a life where it's every moment is literally jam-packed with meaning." And it's amazing how you can actually pull off Judaism <laughs> meaninglessly. It's like it's, it requires a real skill. <laughs> It really does, if you think about it. It really does. Like, how, how can you like have like such a powerful mechanism of spiritual growth and actually not have any spirituality within it? <laughs> like, you have to be properly talented. But it's amazing how many people are. They're really good at it. So they li- literally they grow up and they're doing everything. And you think, oh, well, you know, but, but do they keep Shabbos? And yes, they keep Shabbos. And well, do they say brachas? Yes, they say brachas. Do they put in tefillin? Yeah, put in tefillin. The way it's yeah, it's It's like, so what is it? So what it is is it's a social norm. You know, social norms can be very complex. And, you know, you grow up with it, so you just kind of, you just do it. Why do you do it? Well, it's inertia. Why, why not? Like, why not? So you do it. But there's no meaning. <coughs> there's no meaning. It's just like, it's, I'm just doing it because I'm doing it. There's no meaning. And when there's no meaning, so then it's empty. And then I have to find myself. So actually, finding myself is not about just fulfilling the commandments. It's not going to help. Because many people do that and they don't find themselves at all. And since what we're talking about now is a real, deep, genuine confrontation with Torah, brutal, covering away, like just ripping out all the barriers that divide me from my inner core, well, that's going to, that's going to, be, that's going to be serious work. That's not going to be uh, a kind of behavioral thing, uh, an observance. I'm going to observe. Even the word observance is like such a crazy word. It's like you somewhere else and you're looking in. Oh, he observes Shabbos. Hmm, what's he observing about observing Shabbos? He's an observant Jew. What does it mean? Well, he notices, oh, what's that coffee doing there? And that box of matches. There's an observant Jew. No, or, or you're religious. You're religious. You're religious. So you do religion. You do this religion thing. And that, that's what makes you like... Religious, like what is that? Like, why would religion bring me closer to myself? Why in the world? No, this has got nothing. Torah is this like real kind of engagement of who is here, who am I, in the deepest possible way. 
And they've what's fascinating to like read through, especially the beginning of Bereshit's Genesis, where you've got this putting down the building block. Like it's 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 for me it was a it was it was a mind blowing experience to just go through this creative process of the world. There's a creative process and there's step upon step that's being built up and it's, it's amazing. And there's a description of the, the the creation of a person and it's complex and it's it's interesting and, and he and then he does this and he messes up. And he messes up. But why did he mess up? And what what what, they, what what kind of ramification does it have on on me? And like what's what's this whole story of Adam? What's it all about? And Adam and Eve and and two and there's male and female and there's like so much, so much about about me interacting with it. And there's this there's this for me exciting exploration of where do I find myself in this in this narrative. So I'll give you an example. As, a, as an observant Jew, gosh, what's that? As an observant Jew, you, uh, you, you, you pray. You pray three times a day. That's what they say on the street. You pray three times a day. Put your feet together. Because each of those prayers is a focal point of what's called the the standing prayer. But... Daniel, you correct me if I'm wrong. Standing is, but not still. You can get some real good rhythm. We've discussed different speeds, which we call SPM, shockles per minute. We've discussed the different formats, the different roles. We've discussed what I'm doing right now. They call it the skier. Okay? There are people who cross the midline. They call that the 70s dancer. There are people who raise their hands higher. The boxer. The victor. There are people that lower their hands but keep the fist. Pushing it down. Combined with deep facial expression. The rocket man. The sprinkler. Truth is, I don't even forgot the... I've never, I don't even seen that. But it possibly exists. And you've also got angle, angle of shockle. It's not only about per minute. Obviously, it's the depth of your shockle, because if you're going to do these short, short gyrating shockles, so then you can obviously up your SPM. But like when you're doing, when, you, when you're doing like, you know, you're going to get to like, you're going to get to like 80, 70 degrees, so then it's going to slow you down. But you're getting much more mobility. Okay? You know, like that kind of thing. Like that. And you get back as well. You get back and forward and back and forward and back and forth. You get really into it, and then you can vary it. So there is that. There is definitely that. That's important. SPM and foot position and neck position and stuff like that. And hands. Hands are crucial. Where you put them. Um, it's a focal point. Shmon Esra. It's a quite a sophisticated, actually very sophisticated. Imagine if you like went to the top of a mountain, you know, like you climb, you, you become, there's like a very, very, very old joke, which is like, it's not even funny for me. It's funny for my parent, like my grandparents. My grandparents laugh at this joke. 
Um, and I laugh at the fact that they used to laugh at this joke. And then you just sit and you'll sit and look at me and think, well, that's not funny, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. So basically, there's this, this class, a meditation class in, in LA. Yeah, you know, it's LA. This is going back, you know, because it's again, it's, you know, 60s, 70s, and um, 90s, 90s, 60s. And uh, there's this woman walks into the class and says, oh, it's like these cool dudes. And it's like, 65-year-old woman called Selma. Selma walks into, into this meditation class. She she'd like to, she'd like to join. She joins and like, they're amazed. She like really kind of gets into it. Gets into it. And um, she rises up the ranks in the meditation community until she's awarded the highest honor. She's been sponsored to go on a trip to visit the Guru. Lives, of course, in high up in the mountains in Nepal. And uh, enthusiastically, she gets on a plane and makes a long trek, not simple for a woman of her age, until she gets to the top of the mountain where the Guru spends years in silent meditation and she has an audience planned for the next day she herself is meditating in preparation for this meeting she walks into the room and she looks at him in bliss lotus position and she says those words she looks at him she says no! Selwyn! Come home! <laughs> uh, funny for... No, it's actually... It's tucked. It's stopping funny for me as well. Yeah. yeah. It's not funny for anyone now. What's once funny? It's, it's like... A, suppose like it's a museum piece. You say, oh, that was a joke people used to laugh at. And then it's like helpful. Because then you know what people used to laugh at. <laughs> that was quite funny. You know what's good? Uh, Could be, yeah. Say one laugh. Hey? A one laugh. Yeah, it's a one laugh, like on a rate of joking. (laughs) Like it probably wasn't worth, like that was way too long for a one laugh. Like a one laugh joke, you want to be like 30 seconds. Like there was like a two and a half minute one laugh joke, not worth it. There wasn't bang for buck. (laughs) But the idea is, the idea is, the idea is, the idea is that, that we want meaning and Jews seem to be very, very obsessed with meaning. Uh, there's an insane percentage of Buddhist teachers who are Jewish. <laughs> like, they really want it. And Buddhism seems to appeal to Jews a lot. But I personally know a person who was close to the Dalai Lama. You don't get bigger Buddhist protects than that. Like, it's a Buddhist river. And uh, he went to the Dalai Lama, and he said, I want to be your Talmud. The Dalai Lama says, What's that, Dalai Lama speaks Yiddish. Doesn't really. He went up to the Dalai Lama and says, Can I be your student? And the Dalai Lama looked at him and said, Are you Jewish? He said, Yes. He said, No. He said, Why? He said, Well, Buddhism and Judaism are very different. Go, go to Yeshiva. It's like, you know, obviously I slipped the Dalai Lama and said, Which Yeshiva? <laughs> so we've got a deal going. Sends here. Uh, <laughs> no, but the Dalai Lama has actually, he's, he's literally sent uh, tens, hundreds. But when he meets a Jew who's 
rising up the ranks in Buddhist practice. He says, no, that's not for you. Go, go, go to Yeshiva. That, 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 this doesn't work for you. This is not for your soul. This doesn't work for your soul. Which is amazingly honest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that surprises you? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know he worked for all of me. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. You, know, you have no idea who I love is in playing. Literally. It's amazing. Their reach is phenomenal. Um... So it's about it's about it's about actually like meeting meeting yourself on the deepest level. And Torah helps me to meet myself. It really, really does. So how does Torah help me to meet myself? I'll give you an example from this week's parasha. It allows me to meet myself. So you know, I, Baruch Hashem, I'm a I'm a parent. I've got children, grandchildren. One day I'll be mature. And <laughs> how do I relate to my kids? Like, what do I feel about my kids? Well. So, so for me, one of the struggles of, of parenting is, well, I love my kids, and I want my kids to be what, exactly what I want them to be. Like, I've got it worked out for them. And then they come and they turn up with this thing, which is so annoying. Freedom of choice. Come on! Like, I want you to set up like a puppeteering system over here. Like, I'll pull the string, and then you do it. I pull, and I pull the string, and then like they take a, they take a best, a scissors, or a saber. <laughs> And there goes the string, and they're, they're, they're free, and they, they let loose. So, so, so what am I bringing into the world? So what am I bringing into the world? So I'm bringing into the world, I'm bringing, I'm bringing children into the world. That's, what I'm kind of, that's my legacy. That's what I'm leaving behind. This, what I'm, this is me left over. Rubbish! It's not! It's actually not. Oh, whoa, whoa. But everyone says, you know, your family, your legacy. So watch, look at this. First verse in this week's parasha. Eile told us these are the generations of Noach. Noach ish tzaddik. Tamim These are the generations of Noach. Noach. These are his children. Who is his children? Noach. Who is the children of Noah? Noah is the children. No, he's not, a, he's not a child. He's a tata. He's a papa. He's the daddy. Yeah? No. No, he's, he's a child. He's a child? Well, who gave birth to him? So, one second, one second, one second. He gave birth to three sons. Hashem is Chomis Yafis. And their names are Hashem Chomis Yafis. Okay, good, good. So let's go to Rashi. Rashi says, what's going on over here? He says, no, he says like this. Noach gave birth to himself. The essential child that you give birth to is your actualization of yourself. Finding the positive giant within and bringing him alive. And so that's what Rashi says. And the Maharal comments on Rashi and he says, well, how does Rashi know this? How does he know that's essential and that your children are secondary? They're not primary legacy. They're second. They're diluted, dissipated legacy. Well, he says because first of the order, the order says directly, these are the children of Noach. Noach, he's a child. He gave birth to himself. And then it says afterwards, the three sons. So you see, in, in, a, in a hierarchy of priority, they come second, and he comes first. But then the moral says, but it's not more obvious than that. He says, when you think about what a child is, well, a child is shared genetic material between the two parents. But the moral says, the primary component of the child, if we can just bring you back for one moment here, Tome, the primary component, the primary, primary component of the child is, is the, the deep spiritual core, the soul. And that the parents have absolutely no involvement in. So the essence of the child is actually got nothing to do with the parents. 
So when I speak about my legacy and I speak about my legacy of my children, it's actually a lie. It's a lie. My legacy is myself. That's really what I bring into the world. That's the ultimate thing that I bring into the world. So now in this verse, I just met myself. I met myself in a deeper way. Because until now I thought, oh, if I want to leave over a legacy, I should, I should nurture my children in a way that will make them be a reflection to me. No, 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 no. If you want to leave over a legacy, nurture yourself so that you become a true, you give birth to yourself in the deepest possible way. That's how you leave a legacy. That's your legacy. That's ultimately what you bring into the world. You give birth to yourself, and that's who you have to give birth to. Sure, you have to give birth to children as well. Great. They're there. But that's not, that's not the core. That's not the essence. Isn't that amazing? So I met myself. I met myself. I had a re-understanding of me and my role and what I have to do. Now, ah, that's, that's the, the big picture. Well, how do I do that? How do I give birth to myself? What does it actually mean? Who is this fetus within that I have to gestate and then give birth to? Okay, good. There's more to talk about. You with me? I want, I want to thank you all deeply for, for sitting through this. I mean, this couldn't have been easy for you. This couldn't have been easy. It's hot, it's late, and it's boring. I just want to, I want to thank you for your, your... Oh, it's not hot. It's not hot. I saw him frowning. That's not hot, actually. It's just late and, it's late and boring. Thank you, Joe. Um, for those of you who, who, did, who did have a good sleep, I just want to wish you a, a refreshing day following this. It shouldn't, shouldn't be hard. And um, for the rest of you, um, if you want to, you can come back tomorrow. Um, I won't be here, because I think tomorrow but we know we'll be speaking. But, but maybe the next day I will. And maybe we can, we can like re-engage in this. I'm, I'm, I mean, if you want, I'm enjoying this. I think this could be meaningful and deep and self, you know. How about that? Done? Done? Okay. Off we go, Mincha. Let's go do that.